to Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. I am one of your hosts, Lee Johnson, coming from the sweltering jungle of Memphis, Tennessee, and I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Rick Lee, coming in from the Windy City, and Jason Reed, coming in from, according to him, the tailpipe of the United States, (laughs) Portland, Maine. And today, we are talking about Hobby Lobby. Oh, no, wait, we're not talking about Hobby Lobby. We're talking about hobbies. But before we do that, let me get some drink orders and some rants or raves. I'm going to you first, Jason. What are you drinking and what are you ranting or raving about? I'm going to have a machine pilsner from Bunker Brewery here in Portland, Maine. And this week I am raving about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The series was recently released for free on YouTube. I hadn't watched it because it was on Paramount Plus and I refused to subscribe to another streaming service. <laughs> but they put the whole thing on YouTube and I got immediately hooked. One of the things I really like about it is it is a television show. Mm. It has episodes. Some weird space stuff happens at the beginning. It's all tied up <laughs> in a neat little bow by the end. And you watch the next one. Of course... Their plan worked because now I'm really contemplating getting Paramount Plus for season two. (laughs) And I will throw in a tiny little rant. Because YouTube puts in ads, but they put in ads with no regard for scene structure and acts. So, like, the ad Um, will pop up in the middle of dialogue, and then two seconds later, it'll cut to the end of a scene, and you're like... That's where the ad should go. Come on, people. (laughs) But it's all done by an algorithm which has no patience for humanity and its need for narrative resolution. So, (laughs) All right. What about you, Rick? What are you drinking? So I'm going to have a Euchre Pills because recently I've been visiting my sister in Michigan and it's a local beer there and quite tasty. And plus, I love playing Euchre. This week, I am raving about Astrid Gilberto. So I don't know why I have this tendency to rave about singers, particularly just after they die, but (laughs) she passed away at the beginning of June. If you don't know who she is, she's the one who made Girl from Ipanema famous. Yeah, she's a wonderful singer, and because of her, there was a huge bossa nova crave that swept the United States. And so she's a fantastic musician, and I mourn her passing, but I want to rave about her music. What about you, Lee? What are you drinking and are you ranting or raving? I'm just going to have a Fresca today without alcohol because, as I said, it's really swampy hot here. So Mm -hmm. I just need something refreshing. And today, somewhat related to our topic, I am going to be raving about the documentary Special When Lit. It's a documentary about pinball generally, and also it's a weird documentary because the guy who's the protagonist is telling his story, but they dramatically reenact his story as he's telling it. So it watches a lot more like a film than like a documentary. But anyway, it's about the guy responsible for re-legalizing, is that the word? Decriminalizing pinball in New York and then later other large cities, Chicago, Los Angeles, et cetera, Atlanta, followed. But 
I didn't know this story. I didn't know that pinball was outlawed in many of the major cities because they considered it gambling. This was kind of spearheaded by LaGuardia, but the great kind of story behind this is this one guy, along with many of the pinball manufacturers, petitions the city council to decriminalize pinball and has to play a pinball game in the city council hall in order to prove that it is, in fact, a game of skill and not a game of chance. So I highly recommend this documentary. It's called Special When Lit. Definitely check it out. All right. So, Jason, you were the guy who recommended that we talk about hobbies today. So what did you have in mind? Yeah, well, I know the concept of hobbies seems a little bit anachronistic. It sounds kind of dated, but I also think it's interesting that hobbies are kind of a very ambivalent idea in the sense that some hobbies are amateur versions of, you know, more respectable, which is more lucrative pursuits such as music, art, or literature, and thus they're seen as kind of a failure, being very idiosyncratic and antisocial haunts the notion of hobbies. Like if you ever watch Jeopardy and everyone has their odd little, you know, I collect, you know, vintage vintage diaper pins and so on. Uh, <laughs> there's always a sense of they seem kind of weird and off-putting. But at the same time, hobbies are often the ways in which many people socialize through these supposedly antisocial pursuits. And I guess lastly, part of their bad reputation has to do with the ideal, which I very much want to interrogate, the sense that we should always be engaged in something productive and useful, and that maybe mm. there's something almost utopian in a hobby. So I guess I want to talk mm. about all that. And one last note, wouldn't it be great if the Hobby Lobby really just lobbied for hobbies? <laughs> like if there was a group that was like, people need more time for their hobbies. People need more resources for their hobbies and not the nefarious anti-choice and anti-freedom organization that it has come to be known as. Here, here. Tax breaks for macrame. <laughs> exactly. So I thought it'd be useful to start, as we so often do on this show, with a definition. <laughs> and the definition I'm going to propose as a hobby is an activity that one engages in that is neither part of work and cannot be done for financial compensation. I'm as sort of a side note here, I'm going to suggest that as soon as you turn a hobby into a side gig, it, to some extent changes it or alters it so it's no longer a hobby. So on the one side, hobby is not something you do for monetary gain. But on the other side, I think hobbies have to be at somewhat odds with consumer society. And by that, I mean that a hobby cannot be, in my view, just buying things. I know collecting is often a hobby, but it seems to me for collecting to be a hobby, there has to be a lot of knowledge that goes into it. Like you're going to record swaps and looking for those rare albums and so on. It's more about the pursuit than the simple monetary exchange. And that's why I think some of those mass marketed collectibles aren't really hobbies because they're just sold to you. So a hobby is something that is neither work nor consumption and has some element of pleasure in it. But I also think it has some element of effort. In other mm. words, you have to work at it and try to do it. That's my provisional definition. So I'm just going to throw that out there and see what you guys think if that sits with you or if you have another idea of what a hobby is or should be. So I think that that definition largely works with me. I might have a few questions, though. So my first question is, 
does a hobby have to be an activity? Because I would want to distinguish hobbies from interests. Mm -hmm. For example, when I was prepping for this episode, I was somewhat disturbed to learn that I don't think that I have any hobbies. I was trying to think of (laughs) hobbies that I had. And one of them was live theater. Mm -hmm. I really love live theater. But is that an interest? Because, I mean, I guess on the one hand, it doesn't really suit your definition, Jason, because, you know, maybe that's just consumption. Like if I did participate occasionally in community theater, which I do not, that then I would call it a hobby. And by not being in theater or not, Mm -hmm. you know, participating in theater, that it's just an interest. So does a hobby have to include what we might call an activity? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I do think of this active component as being necessary, but I wonder if even in being someone who follows live theater or someone who follows local music or someone who follows independent film, if there might be enough going on there that might make it more active than it might appear, like in the sense that one might be going to these events, but also reading about them, knowing what new events might be happening. And if that takes on an active component that makes it more a hobby, right? Yeah. I mean, if it helps, I do always keep the playbills. So could I call myself a collector of playbills? (laughs) Yeah, I think that works. You raise an interesting point that there is a blurry line between hobbies and interests in the sense Hmm. that an interest often puts one in a passive role and the hobby, as I'm suggesting, has more of an active role. But I do think, especially if the interest is obscure enough, that there is an active dimension in that. In other words, like following local theater is different than, say, going to see all the Marvel movies because you don't need to spend any time knowing where to go see the Marvel movies because they're all like, everywhere and they're hugely advertised and so on. So that doesn't have the idiosyncratic nature that makes it take on that active component. I'm not convinced yet because if a hobby is not doing something, then almost everything I experience outside of work is a hobby. Mm. So binging an entire season of Between the Ferns is a hobby. Mm. I find it hard to believe that sitting on my couch eating popcorn and watching TV is something that people would call a hobby. It does seem to me like there has to be some kind of doing something. Well, okay, then this is my second question. I think my first question was really about what seems like a hobby but might not quite rise to the level of a hobby. So in this case, because it doesn't include some kind of intentional activity. My other one is an activity that is so a part of my life that it's not a hobby. So I'm thinking like singing. Right. Now, I could say like karaoke is a hobby, and that seems like it would fit your definition. Mm -hmm. But if I said singing is a hobby – I think that singing is such a regular part of my life that to say that singing is a hobby for me would be like to say breathing is a hobby for me. Hmm. I bake bread. And it's not really for me a hobby because the only bread I eat is bread that I bake. Like I wouldn't call making dinner a hobby, right? Right. (laughs) Because it's something you have to do. I don't know. I would call cooking a hobby. Not everybody makes their own dinners. Yeah, and some people get more into it. As Jason said, they do research and they acquire knowledge and so on. Now, I do bake other things besides bread, and that I call a hobby. I really like to make very fancy desserts. That, I think, is a hobby. But I like your example, Lee, of singing because I would never have said that you have a hobby and it's singing. 
Mm. And I think it is because of precisely what you said, that it's, for me, a part of who you are. It's wrapped up in your life. And you are someone who breaks into song more than anyone <laughs> I know. Um, you basically live a musical. <laughs> But on your the description you just gave us, I would say that baking is a hobby for you. Yeah, I would say so too. When hobbies overlap with the things that we do as day-to-day survival, there is another blurry line there too. Like I have a dog and I walk my dog, you know, several times every day. It doesn't really quite seem like a hobby, but then on some days we go out to their trails around here and I'm taking them out to special trails and I'm always looking for new trails and photographing him obsessively. That seems like a little bit like borderline a hobby, but it's so tied up with, you know, yeah, he's a dog. He needs to go outside to go to the bathroom. Like it's so tied (laughs) up with that thing that it doesn't quite seem like a hobby. Okay. Let me try this. Yeah. For you, I would say that hiking is a hobby and also photography is a hobby. And I only know this because I know that you do these things a lot and that you put some effort into them and that they exceed the level of just interests. But of course, I wouldn't say like dogging is a hobby for you. (laughs) Like having a dog (laughs) is a totally different thing. So it seems like the dog, your dog, is just a companion in these hobbies that you have. Right. Yeah. Jason, you got a hobby on your hands and it's called hiking. And the dog (laughs) seems incidental there. And photography then is another hobby. But let me ask about sports because like, well, I haven't played in a long time, but I used to play tennis quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not a professional tennis player. If you don't know that, I don't get paid to play tennis. (laughs) You know, I do research and I own the equipment and I go to specialty shops Mm -hmm. and I work on it. And lately for me, golf has become a similar thing. And I would say those are hobbies, but like someone who jogs every day, I'm not sure I would say that's a hobby. Well, I don't know them. People who like run, you know, marathons, half marathons, that seems like a hobby to me. Yeah, I agree. But just doing your couple miles every day in the same way that I wouldn't consider having a Peloton or elliptical trainer or something like that in your house and just getting in your 30 minutes of cardio or whatever, I wouldn't consider that to be a hobby. I guess one of the things that really appeals to me, maybe interesting thing about the hobby is this odd combination and I'm not going to say on one hand and the other hand. I'm really going to – today I'm going to avoid the hands. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, listen to episode 100 where we really talk about the two hands of everything, the apparatic style. Uh, but there's a combination of hobby of trying to get better at something, trying to improve yourself at something. But also at the same time, the hobby is – fundamentally amateur. Mm. You're not really engaged with competition that's recognized or rewarded in a broad sense. I like that description, fundamentally amateur. I think that that does make the distinction that you were noting in your definition of hobbies, which is like once you start getting paid for it, then it's a side gig. It's a hustle. Yeah. And it's not this amateur activity that is about interest, but is not just an interest, not just a passive interest. It's an activity. Right. Yeah. So if you started to sell your pictures that you take of your dog every day while you're on your hikes, then photography would no longer be a hobby for you. You're a professional photographer now. Right. Although I do wonder if my tendency to think that doing it for money ruins it might be a Gen X bias on my part. Mm. If the kids today, as they say, (laughs) might not see that as such an issue. Usually I keep my Instagram private just because there's too many weirdos in the world. But 
Every once in a while, I get these odd, your dog looks great. Here's some products, you know, and I'm like, no, leave me alone. Go away. But I think for some people, the ability to tie in taking pictures of their dog with sponsoring and getting free stuff might not seem like it ruins it. But for me, there's something about adding monetary gain. I can't imagine that that wouldn't, in some sense, ruin the hobby because it adds in all these other factors. You're thinking about how best to do this, how best to market it. And to me, a hobby, in some sense, is an attempt to carve out a little space of an activity that has its own rules, its own norms that aren't dictated by the norms of work or marketability. Okay, then I have another complicated example, and this is still tied in with my Lee in search of a hobby here, because I'm, <laughs> I'm still not sure that I have hobbies. But I wanted to say that podcasting was a hobby mm-hmm. for me today. Now, I think my first podcast, which was a limited series on Black Mirror, mm-hmm. the television show, I think that was a hobby. I think it was something that I picked up and I did during the pandemic only because I was interested in it, but it became a hobby. This podcast, Hotel Bar Sessions, it's still amateur, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it hasn't quite risen to the level that it's a side hustle or it's a Mm -hmm. gig. However, it is also something now that I use in my annual evaluations at my job. And I'm very lucky that my chair and my dean do recognize it as research, as professional activity. And so I'm not really sure now. Is it a hobby? Is it part of my job? Mm -hmm. It definitely does, as you say, conform to the demands of work and marketability. So am I still left without a hobby here, Jason? (laughs) I would like to insist, first of all, that we are professional podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I also want to insist that one of the reasons why we are professional is because of the remarkable editing job that Lee does that makes us sound way less amateur than we actually do sound. (laughs) But that leads me to make a distinction between doing something pro bono and being an amateur. Mm -hmm. So a lawyer might represent a client and not charge them, but that doesn't make that representation automatically into a hobby. It's not an amateur lawyer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just getting paid is not really the issue. Jason, I think your point is there's actually two things that need to be separated. One thing is, does the fact that you get money for doing it ruin it for you? Mm -hmm. And that's different from, is this something that you need to do in order to make money to live? Mm -hmm. That is... Once it's part of my income that I'm relying on, it's no longer a hobby, then it's a job. One of the things we're groping for here is pleasure. Mm -hmm. A hobby is something that you do just for the pleasure of it. Yeah. One of the other things that Lee's example brings up is that, I mean, the dangers I sort of charted out at the beginning have to do with the dangers of living in a capitalist society where everything is turned into either work or something to consume. But I think we as philosophers have another sort of danger, and that is our tendency to turn everything we do into something to reflect upon and become part of our philosophical work. You know, I think of Lee's example of the Black Mirror podcast, where you're a fan of a show, and you decide to maybe either do a podcast about it or blog about it, and then, oh, look, here's a call for papers, philosophy in Black Mirror. I'm going to submit, you know, this tendency to turn everything into something to reflect upon. And personally, I kind of struggle with that. Like one of my definite hobbies 
fits my definition. Oh, I, I came up with a definition. So, <laughs> but it fits my definition is that for like, God, how long has it been? Anyways, I've practiced the martial art Aikido for like 16 years now. Okay. I don't make any money off of it. In fact, the whole place I go to is entirely volunteer run. So I help teach now, but I don't get any money for that. I'm not very good at it. So every once in a while, people ask me about it. And I'll start talking about it and I'll talk about some of the ideas behind it, how it's a defensive art, how it's always about blending with more powerful force. And people will say, that's interesting. And then I even have, and I'm not going to do this now, I even have a quasi-Spinoza's theory of what Aikido is about, about being a finite thing and struggling with Kelsa, other more powerful please. things. And yes, exactly. <laughs> People have said to me, oh, you should write something about that. And I always say no, because I don't want it to become subordinate to doing philosophy, because I feel like for it to function for me, it has to function as a suspension of everything else I do. Mm -hmm. To be perfectly mm -hmm. honest, that's part of the reason why I took up martial arts again. I'd done martial arts when I was a kid. I was constantly struggling with exercise. And the one thing I noticed is that every time I did other forms of exercise, like I'd go for runs or I'd swim, my brain kept thinking about stuff and I couldn't mm. stop that. Mm. And you know what was really good about stopping your brain from thinking about stuff? Someone trying to punch you in the face and trying to figure out how to defend yourself, you suddenly can think about nothing else other than someone trying to punch you in the face. So I needed something to engage both my body and my mind. Struggling against dualism here again, for Spinoza's part. And so that's why I did it. But at the same time, you know, just like Lee, years ago I got super into The Wire. I published an essay on The Wire. You know, you see this all the time. I mean, there's philosophy of sport. There is a martial arts society that sometimes has things at APA and so on where they talk about philosophy of martial arts. So there is a tendency within philosophy to ruin our hobbies, not by monetizing them, but by making them offshoots of our CV, which I also think can put them in jeopardy in some way as well. Okay, so let's recap the definition. I don't think that we've strayed far from Jason's original definition. I think that we've just honed it a little bit. So first of all, a hobby is an activity. Mm -hmm. It's an activity that, as Jason started with, is somewhere between production and consumption. So it might involve you producing something, for example, a podcast, but it's not simply for money in the sense that you depend on it for a living. So it's not work and it's not necessarily tied into your profession in a way that becomes work. But it also is something more than simply an interest, a passive interest. So even if you are consuming things, you're becoming kind of an expert about them, or you have to do some kind of active work at understanding what it is. Did I leave anything out? I don't think so. I think also if your hobby is collecting, then the collection has to be displayed properly. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a difference between a collection and a mess. Yeah. Rick says with his uh, vintage diaper pins display right behind him. <laughs> Listeners, we've got three quick asks from your hosts here at Hotel Bar Sessions. First, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts. Second, hop on over to Twitter and make sure that you followed Hotel Bar Podcast there. We're at Hotel Bar Podcast, and you can find the Twitter handles of all three co-hosts in the bio there. And third, and probably most importantly, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to your friends and share our podcast posts on your social media. 
All right, guys. So given the definition that we ended up with at the end of that first segment, I think I've got to repeat. I don't think I have any hobbies. Hmm. I think that over the years, I have dipped my toes in different things. About 15 years ago, I had an interest in photography and I started photographing a lot of things. And I came up with this idea of the American Values Project. I'll put a link to it in the notes to this episode. It ended up becoming a thing that actually was displayed. I had a show here in Memphis. I had a show at a gallery in New York. Mm. But then I was like, all right, I did something with it. Mm -hmm. A few years later, I became really interested in film editing and audio editing. I had produced a documentary film. And then when I was done with that, I was like, all right, well, I don't want to be a filmmaker. I'll move on to something else. (laughs) Then, you know, during the pandemic, I started a podcast. I mean, I am still doing that, but it's only been three years. So I don't know, like, does it require a certain kind of commitment? Like, I turn an interest into a hobby and then I accomplish something with it and then I just move on to another interest. Like, does it have to be protracted for Hmm. a certain amount of time? You raise for me a really interesting point, Lee, namely the relationship between hobby and free time or leisure time. Because what we're really asking here is how is it that you use time that you don't have to devote to work and that you don't have to devote to maintaining your health and physical well being? Mm. You know, sometimes I watch TV. I'm not baking constantly whenever I'm not. <laughs> teaching or researching. Or collecting diaper pins. (laughs) Collecting diaper pins. Um, Yeah, there are different ways that one spends leisure time, and hobbies are really just one of them. You know, I get enjoyment out of baking, but there are days where I'm like, screw it, I just don't want to bake today. And so I don't. Then I'll sit on the couch and binge a season of Barney Miller. I mean, I do think that you're right, that hobbies are about what you do with your leisure time. I think what I was trying to get at with my examples is a different kind of distinction. I think in the examples that I gave, that what we see is an interest developing into a hobby. But because I tend to think of things in terms of projects or accomplishments, it was like once I've done something with it, now I need to move on to something else. So I think that a hobby in some ways has to be open-ended. Like it doesn't end. There isn't something that when you reach it, now the hobby's over. Well, and that might be something missing from the definition or encapsulates part of the definition, namely that the hobby is the end in itself, that you're not doing Uh it for the sake of something else, but you're doing it just for the sake of doing it. Mm. I mean, I agree with that, but I don't know if the picture you're painting, Lee, of having a sort of sequence of activities that engage you and then moving on, I don't see that as not having hobbies. I don't see sustained involvement over a lifetime as a necessary condition for a hobby. Some people do that. Some people find a couple things or one thing and it's their thing. You know, they do it for years and years. And some people engage in a thing for a while, find it interesting, and they lose interest or move on. I mean, I don't do it nearly enough. I usually only have time for it in the summer. I occasionally will paint. Mm. Years ago, I went to art school for a semester, but it's not something I do in any sustained way. But every once in a while, I'll pick it up, do it for a little bit, and then drop it usually because of time. And I do think the time issue is an important thing here. We are talking about free time. And to some extent, work and other activities don't just threaten the form of hobbies. They also threaten the very 
possibility to do that, right? Sometimes people just don't have hobbies because you're working too much. Mm. But I don't know. I feel like someone could have multiple hobbies over a lifetime, and that doesn't in any way, for me, threaten their status as hobbies. Yeah, I like this because it does seem like this re-emphasizes the difference between an interest and a hobby. So I could say I have an interest in photography. It used to be a hobby of mine. Right. I don't have the time to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I have an interest in filmmaking or songwriting. It used to be a hobby of mine, but I don't have the time to do it right now. Or I'm not committing the time to do it right now. But I wouldn't say that it is now a hobby, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I wouldn't say right now one of my hobbies is photography because I don't really commit the time Mm -hmm. to it anymore. Yeah. And like Jason said, I had a lot of hobbies that I either just lost interest in or they were no longer enjoyable for me and I let them drop. Mm -hmm. But Lee, I'm sort of suspecting that your hobby is having projects. (laughs) Fair. Actually, that is incredibly accurate. That is really true. But that's such a weird thing to say is a hobby, right? My hobby is having projects. I think that we are getting something here that we might could add to the original definition. What we've come to here is that interest plus time plus activity Mm -hmm. equals Mm -hmm. a hobby. Yeah, I like that. And I think the other thing that brings up is that you can't call something a hobby if you just like the idea of doing it, but you don't actually engage in it. Right. And there are plenty of people who you see, sometimes they'll like declare something to be a hobby, they'll buy a bunch of stuff for it, and then the stuff sits neglected. Oh, God, that's totally (laughs) me. You can't really call that a hobby. Or if you just do something, you know, like I've gone snorkeling several times on vacation, I enjoyed it, but I can't really call it a hobby because I only ever do it when I'm in Puerto Rico. I could definitely make more of an effort to do it as well. But if it's around, oh, that's cool. I'll do that, you know. But can't really call it a hobby. Okay, now we've got interest plus time plus activity plus commitment (laughs) minus money. (laughs) Well, I mean, minus getting paid for it. Because let's face it, a lot of hobbies cost a lot of money. Right. Jay Leno's hobby is collecting cars, and that costs a lot of money. Okay, we'll say minus wages. Yes. Yes. So what are you guys' hobbies, since I'm the one without hobbies? Or my only hobby is trying to find a hobby. <laughs> I told you, your hobby is having projects. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe you're between projects right now. And I'm between loaves of bread right now. And Jason's between being punched in the face right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I listed some of mine. Baking is one of my hobbies. It used to be tennis. I've kind of lost interest in playing tennis, but golf now has become a hobby. That's something that, you know, I have an interest in. I enjoy doing it. It brings me pleasure. I don't get paid for it, not by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't even compete. Often when I play golf, I don't keep score and I play with people who also don't keep score. I think if I were competing in golf, that would make it less enjoyable for me. That would be even worse than getting paid for it. Mm. I'd really enjoy getting paid to golf if I didn't have to compete. (laughs) What about you, Jason? I guess hiking counts as one. I don't even count taking pictures to be a real hobby. I just sort of do it when I'm out there because it's something to do. That's a hobby. (laughs) Okay, I guess. I guess what makes it not quite a hobby is I use the camera, my iPhone. I'm not like what other kind of cameras are there? (laughs) That's a good point. The point I was going to say is I have no attempt to improve or get better at it. 
Okay. Uh, here, yeah. I guess I'm adding another thing to the hobby is that to a certain extent, a hobby has to be something that you're actively working at. And here I'm a little bit stuck. Like, I don't really want to say it has necessarily a telos or a goal, but, you know, part of the activity, in my view, is it's an endeavor. It's something you're attempting to do and attempting to do it better than you did it the day before, or at least mm. you have some concern about how well it is going. I like that second part better. Yeah. If you have some concern about how well it's going. I right. think collectors, for example, aren't trying to collect better than the day before, but they have an interest in how well their collection is going. Right. Mm. Yeah, I have a friend who collects vinyl LPs. And as Lee knows, I have a pretty sizable collection of LPs yeah, myself. you do. But I don't collect them. I'm not a collector like he is. I acquire them because I go to the record store and I'm like, oh, I love that artist or that album is my favorite. And I get it. Whereas he will do research about the first pressing of this album was different and, oh, it's incredibly rare. And he's looking for the equivalent of first editions for a book collector. And that's his hobby. Whereas for me, I just listen to music and I like LPs and I just get them. But I wouldn't mm -hmm. call it a hobby because... I don't really have any sense that I'm doing it better. Like <laughs> My collection is getting better only in the sense that it's more stuff that I like. <laughs> One of the things that occurs to me in thinking about some of these ideas people have about hobbies or stereotypes about hobbies is that sometimes they are portrayed as being antisocial or sort of something one does because one doesn't have a rich enough social life. Mm. But at the same time, hobbies often offer a way to socialize. Every hobby has its corresponding community and you get to know people through your hobbies. And so I guess one of the things that interests me is precisely the way in which they are both highly like individualized, like you do them because they in some sense provide pleasure to you. They also provide a way to connect with other people but it is an interesting kind of connection because meeting people through hobbies is sometimes very different than the friendships we form in other parts of our lives because it is connecting with someone primarily based on a shared interest in a particular thing, right? I want to kind of disagree with this because I do think that there are a significant number of very common hobbies primarily meant for people to find pleasure away from other people. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily antisocial pleasure, right. but non-social pleasure. Right. I'm thinking of things like baking, yeah. mm -hmm. gardening, even jogging. I think these are things that people really need, as people will often say about these hobbies, that they help me recenter myself, right. Right. find a kind of pleasure that is my pleasure, that is not being fed to me by the town square or the market or the job or anything else mm -hmm. like that. But on the other hand, even for something like baking, when I'm doing it, I'm doing it as a solitary individual, and I'm doing it to a large extent precisely because I'm alone, I'm removed from the normal context of my life, and I'm focused on this one thing. But I also do enjoy speaking with other bakers, not when I'm mm -hmm. baking, but when I find someone who's a baker and often we talk about what's your go-to bread recipe and things like that, 
And so there is that social dimension. I don't think that's true for everyone. But it's different than the hobby itself. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's true for everyone. And I also think that, again, the pleasure comes from the actual baking. That's right. right? right. Not the talking about baking. Right. The pleasure for the gardener comes from the actual gardening. I mean, yes, there are going to be gardeners who, like, belong to gardening clubs and, you know, those kinds of things. But I do think that we need to recognize that there is this subset of hobbies that are about being not on social, yeah. finding pleasure away from everyone else. Yeah, I think that's true. There are some hobbies that are really about just being able to do something that is a self-enclosed activity. I, I think about, this was always an odd hobby to me. It was like this was a while ago, like 10 years ago, there was the whole adult coloring book thing. Yeah. They were adult, not in the sense of like X-rated. They were like adult <laughs> in the sense that they were like... <laughs> You weren't coloring in pictures of SpongeBob SquarePants. They're the ornate designs. And the whole point was just to kind of like give you something to focus on and give your hands something Mm -hmm. to do. And they seem to me kind of perplexing. I never quite got it as a hobby. Oh, I totally got that. It seemed to me the sort of thing where the primary goal of the hobby is to just sort of have some quote unquote me time, right? Cut off interactions. Yeah, I think about on the same vein, people who used to build, you know, those like ships and bottles or model planes or whatever, you know, I think that those are about being able to really concentrate on something and put out the rest of humanity, right? Me time. Right. Mm. It's just me and this thing, me and this hobby. Yeah. And on the other side of things, there are also hobbies that seem like the being social is an integral part of it. I think of people who play either D&D games, role-playing games, or even like complicated tabletop games mm-hmm. where you begin to realize that the game is sort of just there to keep the conversation flowing. That it'd be weird to sit around a table with a bunch of people. Like cards for a lot of people does the same thing. Or like primarily the social. And some people do book clubs like this. Like the book becomes just the alibi or sort of reason for getting together and the social dimension takes over. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thank you. Okay, I do have a hobby. I have a poker game. Oh, yeah. And poker is a hobby. Yeah, 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 right. So I've had it for more than 25 years. I mean, suspended it during COVID, but it's recently picked back up. As a matter of fact, it's tonight. And yeah, I mean, I do love the game. Like, I do love card games. But it is about the whole process of being with these other people who also like the game. And of course, if you play in a regular poker game, it's not so much about poker. It's definitely not so much about the money. It's about the shit talking and the drinking and the kind of excitement of the ups and downs of the game. So yeah, okay, great. All right, we're (laughs) cool. I I have a hobby other than finding hobbies. But you know, poker is an interesting example, which goes right to our definition. So poker is one of my hobbies as well. I used to play online, and that's not only non-social, that gets sometimes downright antisocial. Yeah, but sure. because I won a couple, well, more than a couple of online tournaments, I got a free entry into the local tournament that the winner of that tournament would get a free entry into the World Series of Poker. Right. So yeah. this was my first tournament playing in person. And oh my God, is it so fucking boring. Because what they don't show you on TV is that everyone is folding all the time. Well, you should be. <laughs> yes. I mean, th- because now you're at that level where if you're a good player, you're folding most of the time. Yeah. I suddenly realized as I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is now a job. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate my job. <laughs> But I went all in on a pair of jacks, and pair of jacks has always been my downfall in poker. Worst whole hand, yeah. I just don't know how to play it, but anyhow. Yeah, there was a moment where my hobby became a burden. (laughs) 
And it was poker. Yeah, and I'll contrast that with a regular game between friends. Exactly. Which is, I think, a genuine hobby of mine. Yeah. But Lee, is it also something like, do you either read about poker or listen to poker pros talk about how they play? Or I mean, I don't seek that out. You know, like if it's on TV, I'll watch it. Yeah. Or if a story comes up in my newsfeed, I'll read it. But I am interested in getting better at it. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. do talk even at the table about getting better at it. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about a game with friends is that you like say, okay, how would you have played that hand? Yeah, or more often we razz each other right. about how shitty you just played that hand. <laughs> <laughs> how are you not better? <laughs> Which is also an aid to learning. <laughs> now you talk about that. I know I put this in and it's sort of important to me, but I do wonder how much a kind of perfectibility is part of a hobby or a kind of striving towards something, mm -hmm. right? I mean, to me, I would find neither an activity that I was so good at that it, like I got it immediately, nor an activity that I just absolutely struggled with and failed, which is why like music can't be a hobby for me because I'm tone deaf, lacking basic rhythm and like, God, <laughs> I sing around the house all the time too, but it's like a torture for people. <laughs> So for me, a hobby has to be somewhere between those things that you can do with ease and those things that you're hopelessly, hopelessly not qualified for. Yeah, well, things that you're hopelessly unqualified for or that you're very, very bad at aren't going to give you pleasure, right? right. I mean, like failure is a non-pleasurable feeling, right. you know, right. and consistent failure is a particularly bad feeling. So I don't think that anybody finds pleasure in that. But, you know, one of the things that we can see is that there's a different kind of pleasure in what I'll just generally call non-social hobbies, gardening, for example, or cooking, and the social hobbies. Those are different kinds of pleasure. And I think I could never have a hobby that was something like, you know, maintaining bonsai trees or right, right. those sorts of things, because I'm a mostly social person. Those will never be my hobbies, just like something that I'm very bad at will never be my hobby. But I can see also that people who have social anxiety or, mm -hmm. you know, being social is non-pleasurable, really, for them you know, a regular poker game is not going right. to be a hobby for right. them in the same way that singing is not going to be a hobby for you. I wonder, following up from what you said, Lee, if the issue is not so much whether it's social or non-social, but something Jason said earlier about Aikido, is that the martial art you practice? Mm -hmm. Namely, that it allows him to shut his head off. I think this is one of the problems we in our profession have is that our minds are going all the time. And I have to say that when I'm baking, I can still think. Mm -hmm. When I'm golfing, as I'm actually hitting the ball, I'm just thinking about that. But then you're walking and you have a lot of time to think. The only thing I've experienced recently that allows me to shut my mind off is I started doing yoga with my nephew, Blake. Because, I, you know, I'm a 57-year-old man who sits at a desk most of the day, I am like the stiffest human being there is. <laughs> and so I have to really concentrate on this. And it really does get me out of my head. And so, Lee, I'm wondering if for you, a hobby that is social also gets you out of your head because you're with others and you're engaging and so on. It might have something to do with that. The centering oneself might be just getting out of my ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
So Theodore Adorno offers kind of a criticism of the idea of a hobby in his essay on free time. And he says as following, when the illustrated weeklies report the life of one of those giants of the culture industry, they rarely forgo the opportunity to report with varying degrees of intimacy the hobbies of the person in question. I'm shocked by the question when I come up against it. I have no hobby. Not that I'm the kind of workaholic who's incapable of doing anything with his time but applying it industriously to the required task, but as far as my activities beyond the bounds of my recognized profession are concerned, I take all, without exception, very seriously, so much so that I should be horrified by the very idea that they had anything to do with preoccupations which I had become mindlessly infatuated with merely in order to kill time. Making music, listening to music, reading with all my attention, these activities are part and parcel of my life to call them hobbies would be to make a mockery of them. I hate that quote. I hate it. <laughs> I really... Do tell. I do. I hate the idea that hobbies are, by definition, unserious activities. I think that many hobbies involve real seriousness. I mean, I don't know if the Hobby Lobby existed when Adorno was around. I'm guessing he didn't. But I think that this is why many people today would have a similar idea about hobbies, that, you know, it's the crafts that you go and pick up, pointless, meaningless, unserious, maybe even a little bit childish activity that people do in their free time, more or less things that would be otherwise a waste of time. And I don't I just think that that's wrong. Well, also notice that Adorno lists three things that he would be horrified to hear them called hobbies. (laughs) Two are related to music, making music and listening to music. This man was a professionally trained pianist, (laughs) and he studied with Alban Berg in Vienna. I would say that's a little bit more than a hobby. What I would Mm -hmm. say is like that for him was a possible profession that he then decided not to take up. But he continued playing music and even composing music throughout his whole life. The other thing is like reading with seriousness. The man's a philosopher and a cultural critic. (laughs) That's not a hobby. That's part of his job. So either he is the kind of workaholic (laughs) that he denies that he is, which is my suspicion, or... He has hobbies that he's not even talking about. I think it's the second. Mm -hmm. I think that piano playing for him is a hobby. I think it could have been a profession, and it wasn't. It's a hobby. I think reading books for him is a profession. Right. So I think that he just really has a distaste for the name hobby, for the moniker hobbyist, because I think that he thinks that what it means to have a hobby is to be unserious. And that I disagree with him about. So, okay, maybe playing music for him was a hobby, but this man also wrote a shit ton of philosophy about music. He wrote an entire book called The Philosophy of Modern Music. He wrote a lot of essays about music in aesthetic theory. Many of his examples are musical examples. And so he, in a sense, brought in what could be a hobby, listening to music, But then he turned it into work by philosophizing about it. Yeah, but again, philosophy is the work. Playing music is not the work. Playing music is a hobby. I think that I have many hobbies that feed into my philosophical research. I have a VR headset that I play with, that it's a hobby for me. I mean, okay, so maybe I do have two hobbies. VR (laughs) is a hobby for me. Writing about it or talking about it on this podcast is not a hobby, Well, no, podcasting also is a hobby, but teaching about it is not a hobby. But I would say doing it is just a hobby. And I don't think it's an unserious one. 
But I think one of the things that comes up in the essay is that, well, first of all, the examples he draws from, he talks about things like paint by numbers. You know, there's kind of a hobby that, you know, although I guess adult coloring books are kind of a similar thing. And he uses this concept of pseudo activities, right? And I don't know, love adding the word pseudo to things. Um, <laughs> but I think that there is something to be said for, I'm going to try to bring out my inner Adorno. There is something to be said for hobbies where the structure of the hobby is so dependent upon the thing you buy into that it's not even your own autonomous activity, right? Like a, a paint by number set is sort of an example of that. Like to me, when I see paint by numbers, I'm like, you could also try your hand at painting because the paint by numbers, the set gives you the colors, gives you the numbers, and it dictates the terms of what you do. I have a similar kind of Adorno-esque disdain for things like Guitar Hero. That to me is pseudo-guitar playing, right? You're kind of playing at the activity of playing a guitar. You could just as easily pick up a guitar well, not just as easy, it's a little harder. But I guess for me, and this goes into the consumer side of the hobby, not the work side, is that something where you're entirely dependent upon someone else selling you the structure or the format of the hobby seems to me something that's not quite a hobby. Because I do feel like there is a certain sense of autonomy in, in hobbies, that like hobbies are autonomous from other types of activity, but hobbies also have to dictate their own practice, which is why I think a game where you have to constantly buy new upgrades to the game in order to get better, it might be a hobby, but it's a hobby in which you don't control enough of the activity to really develop that sense of autonomy. Okay, so I do disagree here because I think I'm going to go back to my example of people who are model builders, who build model planes. That's a paint by numbers. That is exactly the kind of activity that you just described that I do believe is a hobby. I don't think that you mean to say that it's not a hobby. I think that you recognize that those are hobbies. I think you mean to say, as Adorno said, that it's not an activity. It's a pseudo activity. And I do mm. think that some hobbies are, you know, if that's what we mean by pseudo activities, are pseudo activities. But I don't think that that's a pseudo activity. I think that that is an activity, a real activity that is really serious. I also think one of Adorno's concerns in that essay comes out of a concern he has in another essay called The Culture Industry, namely that in our society, culture, so movies, books, TV shows, music, that these are commodities produced like many other commodities, but our culture works to structure our free time so that it mimics working life, our working time. In doing so, then when we're working under work time, we're not shocked by the abrupt difference between, oh my God, yesterday was Sunday and now I'm at the office. If my leisure time could have the same structure as the factory floor or the cubicle farm, then the difference between free time and labor time goes away. Paint by numbers really does seem to be structured like I'm on the factory floor, I have this brush, and I'm just doing this repetitive task. Making widgets. Making widgets. In this case, the widget is a painting. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, and having as a kid tried to build models of airplanes or cars, there's an awful lot of skill that goes on in model building. And so I think, Lee, I am agreeing with you in a way that, in a sense, there are some hobbies and then there are some bullshit hobbies. 
I mean, aren't we really just repeating Marx's entire argument about alienated labor, right? That the point here is that hobbies we experience as engaging in free conscious activity, not for wages, not for survival. And that doesn't mean that they can't be serious. That doesn't even mean that they can't be structured. That doesn't even mean that they can't primarily just be following directions to the completion of some project. It just means I'm doing this activity not as a alienated practice of labor, but I'm doing it as engaged, free, conscious Mm -hmm. labor. And that seems to me exactly what Adorno was calling a pseudo activity, what Marx would call alienated labor and what but all of those do seem to me to be definitions of a hobby they are activities they are labor but they're not for wages or for work i would argue that for example playing tennis to the extent that i am an amateur and it is a hobby for me to that extent one could rightfully call it pseudo tennis mm-hmm. i've watched the us open live <laughs> in new york and i will tell you i am not playing the same game those people are playing the first live tennis match i ever saw was with serena williams and my god she smacks the ever living shit out of a tennis ball in ways <laughs> that it's not my game and so i would say i'm playing pseudo tennis And so in many ways, I'll gladly accept the label pseudo-activity and wear it proudly and recast it as a positive thing rather than a negative thing. I really do want to keep pushing back here because, okay, here's the thing. Tennis is also paint by numbers. Yes. Golf is also paint by numbers, right? That's my point. And it's not that, no, but the difference between you and Serena Williams is that you play tennis as a hobby for pleasure. She may also play tennis for pleasure, but it's her wage. It's her job. She plays it for wages. That doesn't make your tennis pseudo tennis. That makes your tennis amateur tennis, not professional tennis. So here, my inner Kantian is going to come out. Okay. The numbers by which I paint when I play tennis were produced by Serena Williams when she plays tennis. Absolutely not true. She did not invent the game of She did not invent the game, but she invents strokes that now kids are learning. The strokes that I learned, I'll tell you, I learned to play tennis like Bjorn Borg. Now, when people learn tennis, they learn an entirely different set of directions than the ones I learned when I first started playing tennis because someone came along and rewrote the directions. Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that because I do get the point that you're saying, but I don't think Borg or Williams invented the forehand or invented the backhand. And that is the numbers in the paint by numbers of tennis. They invented a better way of doing it or a different way of doing it. But again, that's not reinventing tennis. Yeah, I was about to say something and it'll just be a quibble. There is no such thing as the forehand or the backhand. Serena Williams has a backhand. Monica Seles has a different one. That's just quibbling, but I get your point. Yeah, right. Because whatever backhand you use, it's just another way of getting the ball across the net, which is the pain by numbers of tennis. <laughs> right? right. There are rules of the game, for sure. <laughs> right. And those are the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think that every hobby, to the extent that it tries to separate itself from work and being a productive activity, is always going to border on the pseudo aspect of the pseudo activity, right? And that the Adorno quote sort of illustrates this without meaning to. Because because as Rick was saying, his list of things he does with all of his seriousness are his busman holidays. They're all the right. things he does <laughs> that have become part of his work. 
I mean, Adorno does say, to be fair to him, he does say, like, I'm fortunate that I get to do this. The fact that he gets to write about music and read in such a way is very much tied into his profession. And I mm -hmm. do think that the more that a hobby avoids being structured like work, the more it's going to seem, to some extent, unserious. And as Adorno says in the beginning of that essay, in capitalism, free time is structured by its opposite. That means that everything that is non-work-like is to some extent deemed unserious pseudo-activity because our standard for activity in our society is work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with what both of you are saying and also what Adorno is saying. I think that I would just want to substitute pseudo as unalienated. Unalienated and unwaged. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> hey. We couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink. So the bartender is making last call, so we have to end our pseudo activity, our very unserious activity of drinking and talking here. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get out of here, Jason, any final thoughts about hobbies? There should be a hobby lobby that lobbies for hobbies. We need more time for hobbies, less work and consumption, and more time for hobbies. Hobbies for all as a new utopian project. Hobbyists of the world unite. <laughs> exactly. So if Leah's right and being unwaged is what makes something a hobby, then podcasting for us is a hobby. But you know, almost every hobby has costs. You have to buy the hobby equipment, you have to go to Hobby Lobby or Michael's, and this podcast also has its costs. But this is not an unsocial hobby, this is a social hobby, and you are part of our society, so maybe you could chip in and help us bear some of the costs of this hobby <laughs> that all of us enjoy together. We're not looking for knitting needles. We're not looking for crochet hooks or golf clubs. We're just looking for you to ante up. <laughs> <laughs> ante up for our bits. Support us at patreon.com slash hotel bar sessions. We have a lot of levels that you could support us at listed there. And if none of those levels are workable for you, another very social way you could help us out is by leaving a review and a rating on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to us. That goes a long way to helping other people find us and spread the word about what a great hobby sitting <laughs> in a hotel bar drinking with philosophers is. All right, guys, it looks like our ride is here. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week when it looks like we're going to be talking about prestige TV. Ooh. Also one of my hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bye. See you then. Bye. bye.